Rebecca Davis with this week's Plan B on the line to us. And we're starting with um, a COVID-related story. Rebecca, good afternoon. Julius Malema and the march that he is planning to hold and I hope won't hold tomorrow to the separate offices to demand vaccines for all. I don't see any reason why he would not hold it at this stage, John, unless you know something I don't. I was glad to see, however, that the good party has announced that although they were invited to join the march, they will not be doing so because, quote, it doesn't make sense, which is absolutely spot on. So the idea is that Malema and the EFF are demanding that South Africa's regulatory authority, SAFRA, must approve the Chinese CoronaVac and Russian Sputnik V vaccines within Seven days of tomorrow's march. Um, yeah, so it's been pointed out abundantly that this is not how it works. That Safra is waiting for documents from the Chinese and the Russian vaccines in order to be able to put them through the necessary testing in order to roll them out. And it has just received documents for the Chinese vac- vaccine yesterday. I, I don't think there are any from the, the Russian authorities yet. Now, the point is, John, which I was reminded by my colleagues earlier today, activists in South Africa have actually lobbied the regulator before. They did it in the 2000s, for instance, over delays in registering antiretrovirals, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a part of health activism, I think, worldwide. But it was never accompanied with outright misinformation, like Malema's claim, for instance, that there's no intention to vaccinate the public since politicians have been injected. There's there's a really good reason it strikes me why politicians and the registration of medicines should be kept separate. And that's the point about separate is this fiercely independent body. And that's because politicians often don't know anything about public health. And we've seen this again and again through this pandemic. If Donald Trump had been in charge of the FDA, he would have had people swallowing bleach. The president of Madagascar, Andre Rajulina, had his herbal tonic he wanted to roll out to cure COVID. And in South Sudan, the president and other politicians wore a protective badge that they thought would prevent one from contracting the coronavirus. And there's many other examples. Worldwide, presidents have been among the stupidest people, politicians, when it comes to suggesting ways to fight COVID. Now, the question is, John, what is driving Malema here? Is there some Russian or Chinese diplomatic or financial interest at stake? I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. Or is this simply political grandstanding? We know the EFF has basically been dormant during the pandemic, other than complaining adamantly that they do not want to participate in the local government elections because of money, to to be clear. Now they are announcing this march, which will undoubtedly be a super spreader event. And what we need to just face facts as a country is that this is bullying again on the part of the EFF. We've seen it again and again because they are targeting women. They are targeting the women at the head of SAPRA, and that is Helen Reese and SAPRA CEO Boitumelo Samete Makokotlela. They've been sending abusive messages to women at SAPRA. They are threatening uh, a sleep-in at the home of the regulator CEO. And how else are we exposed to, supposed to, 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 to frame this except as an attempt to intimidate women in the hope, presumably, that some of them will step away from these positions? 
It should be denounced for what it is, and it is part of a pattern of toxic sexist behavior on the part of the EFF who consistently claim the opposite, that they are a feminist party, etc. But what they really want to do is intimidate women, and we shouldn't stand for it. I see Helen Ziller has tweeted that she believes that Julius Malema is deliberately holding super spreader events so that he can avoid a local government election in October. I wonder on what she bases that particular allegation. But I mean, yeah, I do hope that, well, I'm sure SAPRA will hold course on this. Um, I've asked professional vaccinologists um, several times over the last month or so what info about the Russian and uh, Chinese vaccines and they say there's not that much published that we have access to that we can judge and it's good that the Chinese now have submitted papers to SAPRA because now SAPRA can have a look because you know anecdotally there are several countries that have exclusively or almost exclusively used Sinopharm and vaccinated a very significant majority of their population and COVID is again running wild so you ask how effective is it in that situation but that's what the scientists are there for that is what the scientists are there for and we also know about the russian vaccine that the who the world health organization has expressed huge concerns about i think one out of four facilities in russia which are producing the vaccine as you say there are countries like indonesia mauritius chile which have used these vaccines and the indications are that they are not that effective that the efficacy may be around 50 percent We also have to be conscious of our own resources, financial and otherwise, if we're going to be deploying doctors and clinics to to give out vaccinations which don't actually work, then, you know, that is not going to assist us in opening up our society in the long run either. But that discussion, in a way, is almost irrelevant, John. The point is that even if those are 100% valid, should the EFF be leading the way on putting political pressure no, on an independent regulator? No, the absolutely answer, as you not. Say, is yeah. no. Um, Rebecca, I, <laughs> I wrote to you earlier today that I was pleased that you were as fascinated by Britney Spears's curatorship as as I am. Somebody WhatsApped and said um, he's about as fascinated with that as he is with watching grass grow. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but I mean, the fact that this one-time child star who did fall on tough emotional times um, and did d- display an inability to control her own fate and destiny has, it appears, essentially been a kind of prisoner of a legal process um, by somebody who appears to have his own best interests at heart rather than hers. I do find that interesting. I, I think it's fascinating, John, because we're not really... We're not used to situ. I mean, I'm sure these situations happen all the time, but we're not used to them being brought into the public domain. The only one I can think of is also those Dubai, was it in Dubai? Princesses who were complaining that they were being essentially held prisoner as well. So if you haven't been following this saga, in court yesterday, Britney Spears asked the judge to end uh, what they call a conservatorship. Con- con- conservatorship. Uh, this would be in our... Yeah, sorry in our mispronunciations. Is it conservatorship or is it conservatorship? I don't know. A guardianship, essentially, which has put control of her life and her finances in the hands initially of her father and then I think since then in other people's hands, lawyers and various other bodies. And she's asked to get out from under this and she's been under it for the last 13 years and this guardianship controls her life to the point that she cannot, for instance, get married without its permission. She pays money into it and money she is given a stipend from it but cannot independently decide to spend large quantities of money and so forth and this is also the topic of a new york times documentary earlier this year framing britney 
It's interesting to me, John, that the New York Times, which is such a kind of august and stiff upper lip publication, has taken such an interest in this matter. I wonder if it isn't because, you know, there is a sense that the media and even perhaps us as a society were deeply complicit in Britney's downfall, that it happened kind of in front of the public eye those years, 2007, 2008, when she was filmed shaving her hair, having these public outbursts with paparazzi around her, everyone just watching sort of in like a car crash in slow motion. Be that as it may, it is this very strange situation. What is unclear to me, John, is what is required in the U.S. to get a guardianship. Because I know, for instance, that in the U.K. it is very, very hard. It is not just a matter of a dodgy doctor and a dodgy lawyer being in cahoots. There's a whole panel that is convened and they will not hand over guardianship unless you are severely, severely mentally incapacitated. It's not just a former child star who might blow her money. It would be somebody with a traumatic brain injury or a very serious psychiatric problem. So that is the question. Is there something wrong, effectively, with Brittany that we do not know about? She clearly is on medication. If you read the transcript of what she said to the court yesterday, it is not necessarily what you would consider a speech from a sane and rational adult. But then again, if this is the first time you've been given the opportunity to speak in public about your plight for eight years, would you be able to be sane and rational? Would you be a bit kind of babbling and hysterical? I'm not sure. I think I might be a bit babbling and hysterical. Some bits of her court testimony, John, also don't make a lot of sense. She said she's made to work seven days a week. She wants to take time off, but she is taking time off. She is in a, well, a well-known career, career break. So there are a lot of unknowns, but if the basic facts that Brittany claims are correct, namely that her father and these other men in her life are effectively milking her for money while not allowing her freedom, I mean, this is a horrific, horrific situation playing out again for one of ostensibly the richest and most powerful women in the world. And again, I don't mean to make this a kind of gender corner today, John, but the question is, why is this happening to a woman when there are so many other male stars, Kanye West among them, who have seen her very public breakdowns and nobody has ever suggested that control of their life and finances should be wrested from them? And then uh, to take us fully and completely out of the gender corner, perhaps, is uh, the 10 most annoying mispronounced words. Do you have a particular annoyance in this regard, John? It's a word that you constantly hear mispronounced it's Get your goat. Uh, no, I, I have a very mild reaction to people who can't, people who should know better, like Bruce Whitfield, who can't pronounce mm. entrepreneurship. How does Bruce Whitfield say it? Entrepreneur, which is what a lot of people say rather than entrepreneur. Oh, gosh, what a dummy that Bruce is. <laughs> John, um, so this list, it strikes me as very Britain-focused. The number one most irritating word it's just is people who say pacifically instead of specifically, which is not something I really hear around a lot, I don't think. People say probably instead of probably. Really, that's quite pedantic, I think. Number three is, is a big one, I admit, and that's people who say espresso instead of espresso. That's one that definitely happens here. And I, 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 I can't, I, when I read that as one of the, the top I thought, do do people I know, when I'm in a shop, do I hear, I haven't been in a coffee shop for a very long time, but when I was, did I hear people saying espresso instead of espresso? And I'm not you sure that I did. It, you certainly see it spelt out, together yeah. with the notorious cappuccino, as opposed to cappuccino. Um, 
I also was interested that the the tenth most irritatingly mispronounced word was triathlon, which I've never heard anyway. Instead of triathlon, simply because are people discussing triathlons that often? But John, I've been racking my my head as to what mine are. Um, marshmallows. Why do people say that instead of marshmallows? That is very popular. Marshmallow. You hear it all over the place. I can't bear mischievous, which is inserting an I where there is none. It's just mischievous. I also asked my wife, Haji, for her opinions on this, and she claims that it is very common for people to say intestine instead of intestine. I have to admit I've never heard that, but no, if that is the case, that. those people should be dragged into the public square and punished. Did Haji say to you, Rebecca, you know you are guilty of X, Y, Z? We have an ongoing debate because she thinks I genuinely believe that the word gnome, J-N-O-M-E, is pronounced gnome. When, of course, I know that it is, I know, John, that it is not pronounced gnome. But when I say it, I tend to say gnome because people don't expect you to say gnome. So sometimes you have to make it clear what you are saying. Rebecca, thank you very, very much indeed.